It is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Hope you're having a good one out there today. Probably feeling a lot better right now. If you are a Wild fan, a member of the Minnesota Wild, anybody associated with that team after Wednesday's game, a 6-2 to two Wild victory over St. Louis. The sky is no longer falling. The series is tied 1-1, heading back to St. Louis for Game 3 on Friday. Um, just a interesting game all around. We'll get into that here in just a little bit here with the statistical breakdown of it. Wild playing with fire a little bit, 6-2. to two. Maybe uh, doesn't tell the whole story of the game, but it will tell a lot of the story because results matter in this league. Results matter ultimately in the playoffs, and the Wild got the result they absolutely had to have. Minnesota United goalkeeper Dane St. Clair will be on the show in a little bit as well to talk about his excellent season, his journey to Major League Soccer, and uh, other uh, points of pride for him. Big uh, you know, Canadian national team. He is from suburban Toronto. Big Raptors fan. We got into all of that. So hope you enjoy that conversation. Vikings will open the year. Not open the year, but they'll play next season in London, which is interesting to me. I'll get into that a little bit. Got some Bally Sports North stuff that I wrote about on Wednesday that could be interesting for you know, people who don't want to pay for an entire cable package, but who do want that channel. And the Twins, um, Dylan Bundy, not good on uh, on Wednesday. We'll talk about that a little bit too. But first, what did I miss? Like I said at the beginning, Wild 6-2 over St. Louis. Kirill Kaprizov, a hat trick in this game. It was kind of funny. They Fans thought Joel Erickson Eck had a hat trick that had made the game 6-2 to two right after Kaprizov had scored his second goal. Um, that one ends up getting called back because of offside, but then Kaprizov gets one late. So I don't know if they had their hats back or not. Whoever had a hat left could throw it on at that point, I guess. But bottom line in this game is the Wild got the result they needed. The big-time players absolutely, obviously stepped up in this game. Kaprizov the Wild's best scorer, the Wild's best player, had a hat trick, like I just said. You, you don't get a whole lot more than that from your best player. He was obviously kept off the scoreboard in Game 1 when St. Louis won 4 to nothing. So getting him going, obviously a huge deal. Um, getting scoring up and down the lineup. Like I said, Eck had the two goals um, already in that game. So he, you know, he almost had the hat trick. He's been... He's been playing very well. He's been a good, uh, you know, he he had a very good game in that in that regard. Um, and kudos to Dean Evison, who you know had what some of us probably thought was a difficult decision to make with with the goalie. Right after Mark Andre Fleury gave up four goals in that first game, that that you know, do you go back to Fleury? Do you go to Cam Talbot? What do you do? And it would have been pretty easy to say, let's give Cam Talbot a try because Cam Talbot was pretty good this year, was so good down the stretch, was an all-star goalie this year. But you don't go get Marc-Andre Fleury in a trade at the deadline, someone who's won three Stanley Cups, who has, you know, who's going to be a Hall of Famer. You don't go get him at the trade deadline to sit him in game two of a playoff series after one you know, I don't even know if shaky is the right word, but one game where he gives up four goals. You don't you just don't do that. So 
Comes back with Flurry. Flurry wasn't perfect, but he made a lot of big saves. Only gave up the two goals in that game. Kept them in it early when St. Louis was, you know, controlling the play, controlling the controlling the uh, the, the ice time, controlling the uh, the offensive zone um, starts, and really um, kept them in it in the second period too. When the when the Wild just kind of rode out that whole period after taking a three nothing lead into the second to get out of the second period up 4-1 to one after being outplayed again. Uh, that was big. And then obviously St. Louis gets to within 4-2 to two early in the third period. You're thinking, uh-oh, St. Louis gets a power play. They ring one off the post. I mean, that, that's that's you got to think about this game. I mean, this was a much tighter, tenser game than the 6-2 to two final score would indicate. But again, that's hockey. The Wild hit a bunch of posts on Monday, the Blues may be frustrated by not cashing in their chances on Wednesday, and Flurry was a big piece of that. So kudos to uh, to Dean Evison for sticking with that in this game. Larger point, though, beyond the you know the good news for the Wild, which was you know six goals, you're going to take that every game. Kaprizov, your star, getting going with a hat trick. Erickson Eck, the play of Flurry. They need to tighten this up a little bit more. I still don't think this is the kind of game they're going to want to play going forward if they're going to win the majority of games and win this series. I mean, St. Louis outshot the Wild 34-28. to St. Louis had almost twice as many hits as the Wild, 39-21. to And again, hits can be a little bit uh, subjective sometimes, and they can be a little bit, you know, if you know if one team has the puck more, but I don't know if that was the case uh, to, uh, on uh, on Wednesday night. I feel like the case might have been that St. Louis was the more physically aggressive team. Um, St. Louis, you know, the faceoffs were pretty similar, thirty-one to thirty, uh, but St. Louis still got five power play chances, and they did cash in on one of them. The Wild needs to stay out of the box just a little bit more. You don't want to have those momentum-turning penalties that can either get a team back in a game or extend. Uh, extend a lead for a team. Now, the Wild did do some of those gritty things you have to do. Blocked 20 shots in this game, definitely helping Marc-Andre Fleury in that regard. But you can see, I mean, you can see how much the uh, the ice was tilted towards St. Louis for much of the game by their advantage in shots and all the blocked shots for the Wild. Now, you know, game really turned in the first period, about halfway through, um, you know, St. Louis had been pressuring, 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 then all of a sudden, you know, St. Louis has a player break a stick in their zone. Um, loose puck, Wild scoops it up, gets a nice little play. Eriksonek cashes it in, one nothing. Floodgates open a little bit from there. Ville Husso, who was very good in Game 1, was not as sharp in net for St. Louis in Game 2. Not like he gave up a ton of soft goals, but definitely some savable shots, definitely some rebounds he could have controlled a little better. So that's got to feel good for the Wild, too, that they've gotten him a little bit off of his game, gave up those five goals on 27 shots. Um, obviously, the empty netter late in the game that gave Kaprizov the hat trick. But, you know, that's got to feel good for the Wild, too. But by and large, I think they need to tighten this up when they go to St. Louis because that's not the kind of game you're going to win all the time where you, you know, you're outplayed, you're outpossessioned a lot, you're outhit. Uh, but you just cash in your opportunities. Now, it is a way to win. It's certainly preferable to the other way around when you're the team that's getting frustrated and the other team is cashing in all their chances and you wind up losing. Um, but they're going to they're gonna tighten this up a little bit more as they get to get down the stretch of this, uh, of this postseason. I'm guessing that a lot of these games are going to tighten up. You know, there's two 
four goal games these first uh, these first two the four nothing and then the six to two. You're going to find yourself in some three two four three two one situations here in the next you know out out of these next five I would think and this one could go the distance wouldn't surprise me. You're going to get yourself into some of those situations where every you know everything you do is going to be magnified even if you you know if you if you give up a goal in the third period it might not make it 4-2 like it did last night it might make it 2-2 two to two, or it might make it 3-2 to two. those are the moments where you're going to have to buckle down a little bit more and be a little bit tighter with your game than the wild was but like i said all that said they pulled it all together they had a must win game can't go down 2 nothing in the series and they did everything they had to do in order to avoid that fate and to really make this a series again Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Minnesota United has a match Saturday against Cincinnati. The Loons have been, you know, pretty good so far this season. They have to feel good about where they are right now. That match at Allianz Field, they're sitting in sixth place in the Western Conference, but they need to get their offense going. Just 11 goals in the first nine games, but they have a record of four wins, three losses, and two draws, largely because they've only allowed eight goals, and the largely only allowing eight goals is thanks in large part to goalkeeper Dane St. Clair. Had a great conversation with him this week, and I'd like to show that I'd like to play that for you right now. All right, happy to be joined today by Dane St. Clair, goalkeeper, Minnesota United. He's been having an awesome year. Um, really started out with that game against the Red Bulls and has really taken off from there. Dane, welcome. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, happy to have you. I mean, maybe just, we're going to get into a whole bunch of stuff here, but maybe just kind of talk me through your season. I mean, it's been kind of an up and down three years for you. You had, you know, 2020 was you know, the playoff run, everything like that. Mm-hmm. Last year didn't play that much. This year you come in as, as the backup, and then circumstances push you in that starting role, and you've just taken it and run with it. What did it – what's that journey been like, first of all? Yeah, I think, like you said, there's been a lot of highs, um, you know, making it to the Western Conference Final, first time in club history, taking over that year, doing so well my first opportunity, then starting the season as a starter, keeping my job, and then um, unfortunately losing it during, during to the team's um, failures to start the year. Um, and then that year was definitely very frustrating. Kind of that, some of that led into this year. I think according to the offseason, it was a nice little, uh, mental reset to try to come back in. I thought I had a great preseason, thought I did good enough, thought I deserved to be starting, um, on opening weekend. And, uh, unfortunately that wasn't the case for me. But then, um, shortly after that, my opportunity came and then I was just kind of go, going from there. And I was kind of told myself this could, could be my one opportunity and you yeah. kind of make the most of it. And, I think uh, in my position, some games you don't touch the ball at all. <laughs> so it could have been one of those games. And then um, fortunately enough for me, um, it wasn't one of those games. And I was able to, to showcase what I what I had worked on. Is there pressure in a game like that? When you feel like you maybe when you haven't been playing as much, then you have like maybe one opportunity because you know, the other keeper gets sick and you're like, well, if I don't play well, it's probably back to him when he feels better. Does that put pressure on you? Do you like that feeling? Yeah, I think um, – in my in my position, pressure is o- o- always there because the the margin of error is so small. So I think um, that pressure was always there, and I think probably more so internally than than anywhere else. I, but I think um, fortunately it was so close to preseason, and I I thought I had a really good preseason, played a few games, and then and then um, 
it was kind of just going on from there and kind of taking that good preseason, good offseason into the season now and kind of showing showing what I had available. What was it about the game in particular? There was a one nothing shot off, if I'm not mistaken. So you know, every every save matters. Every everything matters. You saved a, a PK, I think. I mean, mm-hmm. do you just as a goalie is is we I think we in sports maybe sometimes we overrate momentum or we overrate kind of the the sense of oh, this guy's on a roll or he's he's hot. Mm-hmm. But does do you feel that times? Are there times where you just feel better than others? And was that a game where you maybe locked in and just felt like you could save anything? Yeah, I think um, first and foremost, going into every game, I want to make that first save, kind of start everything going. And then I think uh, I made a really good first save, and then the penalty came shortly after that. And then when you, when you save the penalty, you're like, you kind of have that <laughs> feeling where it's like, all right, I've done enough. I've done enough to keep a clean sheet, and now I want to just kind of keep going, and you have that momentum. So, yeah, for sure, you kind of have that mentality where you just lock in and you're like, I feel like nothing's going to yeah. beat me today. Now let's back up a little bit from this season. I'm always interested when I – talk to someone for the first time at least extensively just to tell me about your your journey are you from canada we're gonna talk we're talking mm-hmm. world cup here in a little bit because first time in 36 years that mm-hmm. the canada's in the world cup you had a cap for them uh last year during qualifying is that yeah. right yeah. so but give, give me the sense of of your journey how did dane st Clair get from where he was to you know you're almost 25 now birthday's coming up in a few mm-hmm. days to, to this point now yeah, I think uh, growing up in Canada, playing for Vaughn Soccer Club, a, a really big club there. I mean, likes of Kamal Miller on the national team, Austin Johnson, Mark Anthony Kay, all these guys kind of played for the same club. And it wasn't a prof- it's not a professional club, but um, just coming to showcases in the States. And that's where I got saw by uh, Maryland. And one of my uh, coaches from my club actually went to Maryland. So that was a little bit of the connection there. Um, they were recruiting late because Zach Steffen was there at the time and then decided to leave early. Leave early. So they weren't where they were from looking at from nobody to yeah. okay, we need to find somebody and okay. then um kinda of similarly there, kinda of had some ups and downs in my in my first couple of years there. Um ended up redshirting my sophomore year due to going to the uh uh U twenty qualifiers and then not being the, the locked in starter as well. So that was kinda of a tough decision that year and then kinda of going from my junior year, I think it's kinda of really when I when I started to push on my senior year, um, winning the national championship. That not helps. getting scored. That helps. Yeah. Not, not getting scored on in my in the uh, <laughs> eh, you know not bad in in the uh, NCAA tournament, um, and then si- signing my GA contract um, right before the draft and getting drafted to Minnesota with my roommate uh, Chase Gasper. Yeah, not bad, right? It's like, it feels like a, a long journey, and you obviously, like we said, you're from Canada. I mean, did you were you always a keeper? Did you grow up playing? Playing out in the field, did you mm-hmm. or did you? What, what age you were like? This is this is what I want to do. Uh, so my dad played goalie, yeah. like Sunday league or whatever. So like I think seeing him play, but I I would play both. Um, growing up, our goalie played like when I was really young. Our goalie, our goalie played hockey as well. So like some of the tournaments where he couldn't make it because he had double confliction. It was when I would go in net, and then kind of around the time where I was fourteen and when I was still playing both is when I made the made the full time switch over. Do you play hockey at all? I mean, I got to ask you, everybody in Canada plays hockey, right? Uh, a little bit of ball hockey when I was younger, okay. but I don't even think I can skate anymore, to be honest. Okay. But you got, I mean, from what I understand, you got a tremendous amount of Canada pride, as anybody should be from, from where they're from. Well, as you participated on, you know, um, you know, national teams and whatnot, mm-hmm. seeing this team qualify for the, for the World Cup, what does that mean to you? Yeah, I think um, it means everything. I think kind of... Growing up in Canada, it's such a diverse country. I remember during the World Cup, you see all the 
Italian flags sure. and all, all the Portuguese flags. So to be able to, to see those flags on those cars and people being able to, to rep the country that took everyone in because I think uh, me or most of my friends either we were born somewhere else, our, fa- our parents were born somewhere else, or our grandparents. So in terms of that, it's a, it's a very diverse country and a lot of players have different backgrounds. So to kind of just come in as one and kind of see Canada in that, in that world stage and really make a name for ourselves as well and get a little bit more respect uh, within the world. You're from right outside of Toronto, is yeah, that right? Yeah, a little bit east of Toronto. Raptors fan? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, what? What? They were they were good this year. What? You know, mm-hmm. you still hanging on to the glory from a few years ago, or where? Where are you with that right now? Yeah, I think um, last year with with uh, the COVID restrictions, I think was was tough on tough on everyone. All the Canadian teams having to play, to play, in, to play in Tampa, playing in Tampa. Weird. I yeah. think you look at, I mean, Toronto playing in Hartford, Montreal having to go to Miami. Um, so I think last year for for Canadian teams in in these leagues that are mostly American dominant. Uh, it was a really tough time, so I think it was kind of a little bit of a, a rebuild this year. But I mean, Scotty Barnes, Rookie of the Year. I think Masai, Masai always seems to to get the job done, and everyone kind of questions his decisions at times. But he seems to get the job done always. What are the What are the Raptors winning a championship? But what did that mean? I mean, it, it feels like their their fan base just exploded. Yeah, I mean, point. it was. I think it was the biggest parade in North America <laughs> right? at the time, or something like right. that. I mean, I think. I think it'll be interesting to see because I think when Vince Carter came, I think it's kind of when everything changed. So. Seeing some of those guys, some of those kids now that grew up idolizing Vince Carter and seeing some of like all the Canadian players, much more Canadian players in the NBA now. So I think this championship, you look at 15 years from now or 20 years from now, you see that group of kids that idolize that moment. Sure. Um, and I think that's kind of what we're going to see with the Canadian national team as well. Now that these kids can see it in their own backyard, see the Canadian Premier League, see it. It seems feasible without having to, to leave home now. Whereas before it was always like, you got to go somewhere in Europe and try to build your name for yourself, start from the bottom because none of these big uh, yeah. clubs really wanted you. Um, so I think kind of just it's going to be fun to see looking back where like this was a catalyst yeah. moment. And I think sometimes being in it, it's, it's, it's hard to like, we can take it for granted a little bit and not really sure. But at the same time, it's like we really were, we're, we're groundbreakers for the, for these moments. This club obviously has so many different players from, different backgrounds, different players going all over for World Cup qualifying. What's that like when you guys all come back? You talk about your experiences. You just talk about just, you know, what the World Cup means to you guys. Um, yeah, I think uh, it's different because, I mean, playing against some of the yeah, guys too. I, I mean, so it's, um, I think when we go, it's kind of like strictly focused on that and, and your own experiences. And the turnaround in those moments are so short. You play three games in 10 days sometimes. Yeah. So it's like, trying to focus on that you have to put all your focus on that and kind of forget about club soccer for a little bit and then as soon as it comes back you probably have a game in four days so it's just the the switch back so I think sometimes we don't get to talk about it right away um and you're still trying to decompress of the hard schedules and things like that that we've had um so I think but I think when you sit down at lunch or something like that you kind of talk to some of the guys and like what their thoughts were going into the game and, and things like that few more things for you on this particular season I mean you guys off to a pretty good start you're in you know playoff position right now it's going to be it's a long long way to go but you've been a big piece of, of what they've been what's been going on so far as you kind of evaluate the team right now what do you see as the identity where's the room for growth things like that yeah I think we we've been a, a good team defensively we have not not given up uh, many goals and I think I've, I've played a part in that as well so I think um 
just to, to try to keep the goals down. And we know that the scoring will come eventually. I, I think we've saw, we've seen the, the glimpses in a few games. So just kind of um, meshing and cohering in, in, the, in that final third and keeping the ball in our, our midfield third. And I think that can really help us push on and get some more uh, important results coming up. And you personally, I mean, when you're in a, a good spot like you are right now when you've been playing well, how do you keep yourself, whether it's physically, mentally sharp, how do you, what's your kind of routine or what's your process to, to be in that moment? Yeah, I think in, in my position, it's it's never about getting too high or too low because things happen very fastly and it's <laughs> like, you could make that one mistake, but there's another shot coming and you can't afford that mistake. Or like last game, I felt like I made a great save and then next corner, next, the uh, corner kick we concede. So it's... Just about uh, never getting too high or never getting too low on and off the field, just kind of maintaining um, level-headed as, as much as I can. Is that hard to do? I mean, is that, hard, is that a hard lesson to learn or is that just kind of be part of being a pro? Um, I think it's part of my personality as well. I think um, you, know, okay. you kind of never see me too, too high or too low. So okay. I think um, it's kind of my personality that I've been able to bring on and off the field and it's kind of become who I am. So I don't know if it's... My personality brought to the field, or the field brought it to my personality. But I think um, okay. that's how I am. Yeah. Final thing, I, I like I like to ask a lot of people about this because it's just it gives you kind of an open ended way to to finish. What's one thing about you that people maybe find surprising? Mm-hmm. Good question. I wish I knew that question before. That's probably that's probably something. To th- that's like a deep question. Um, I like to cook. Okay, I would say that. Yeah, I think. Uh, Growing up, like, used to watch a lot of the Food Network. I mean, still do. So just um, little tidbits and things like that. So just trying different things, having guys on the team over to to kind of cook and just enjoy uh, time and stuff like that together. Nice. What do you, what's like, do you have a, a go-to dish or a go-to a favorite show? Uh, Tournament of Champions recently. Okay. Um, yeah. Shout out to Justin Sutherland. He was uh, he was on that as well. Um, so just, I mean, anything chopped, any of the competitions yeah. really where it's like, kind of seeing different people and, and things like that. Um, and then, yeah, just nothing really that I prefer. I kind of like to, like, if a guy, like, will be like, can you make this? And then I have to kind of learn and then put my own little spin on it as well. Awesome. I like it. We've got the ingredients of a successful season going. Sorry, pardon the pun. But uh, <laughs> Dane St. Clair, awesome to catch up with you, and uh, good luck the rest of the year, all right? Thank you very much for having me. You know, now I want to know who else, um, what other Twin Cities athletes love to cook, which which put together like a uh, a Twin Cities athletes chopped style competition and uh, get Dane St. Clair and they get some other folks in. That would be a lot of fun. I would watch that a um, hundred times out of a hundred. But hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Dane St. Clair. Like I said, having a fantastic season for the Loons, one of the best keepers in the league. And we will see if he can keep that up for the rest of the season. Some interesting stuff I want to get to down the stretch of the show. Vikings will play in London next season against the Saints. Um, you know, they've played there a few times in recent years, but the biggest interesting thing to me in this is that because of now there being the unbalanced schedule with there being 17 games, um, you know, you get every year you're going to have nine home games, eight road games. And so as soon as this was announced, I was like, well, is this there, is this counting as one of their home games? Because this was the year they were supposed to have nine home games and eight road games. And no, in fact, this is a road game. This is a Saints home game so technically really this year even if you're calling this a saints home game vikings will have nine home games seven true road games and this one game in london where you know 
Again, the Saints are treated as the home team. The Vikings are treated as the visitor, but won't have that same kind of hostile crowd to deal with. So that's kind of a big deal. It's a sneaky advantage for you know any team going into a year that has the nine home games, but the Vikings extra um, extra advantage in 2022 with just seven true road games to go with those nine home games and the one neutral site game. So that was what was interesting about Vikings in London to me. Another interesting thing from Wednesday, Sinclair had an earnings call. Sinclair, the parent company that owns all the Bally's Sports Regional Sports Networks, um, announcing that they are moving forward on a path to launch their direct-to-consumer app at a price point of $19.99 a month, or I believe $189.99 per year. Um, that yearly rate would break down to a little less than $16 a month. So basically you'd get, say you're a Minnesota fan, you'd get access to Bally Sports North for that price. Why would you pay $20 for a channel for just one channel? Well, some of you might say I won't. Some of you might say I would never do that. Some of you probably have you know, some sort of, so you have cable or you have direct TV that already has Bally Sports North. Why, you would never pay for it twice, obviously, but... Other people who have been frustrated by these kind of streaming wars where, you know, Hulu, YouTube TV, Sling, um, even Dish Network for a long time have not had Bally Sports North. They dropped the channel, you know, one, two years ago now um, because of carriage fee disputes. So if you were in that book and you had, you know, you'd switch to one of those cheaper streaming services primarily for access to Bally Sports North because you wanted to watch you know, the Wild, the Timberwolves, the Twins, the Lynx, Minnesota United. I mean, there's a lot of local sports on that channel. Pretty much everybody except the Vikings, who by and large are on, you know, open air TV, broadcast TV on, you know, either Fox or uh, CBS generally, although, you know, there's some some fragmenting of that now. But most of the Vikings games are accessible to you uh, without any sort of cable package. That's not the case with you know, every other team in this market, most of them are on a cable package, almost all of their games on Bally Sports North. And if you don't have access to those, this now will be an opportunity when it's launched. And they're saying it's going to launch sometime this quarter, which you can interpret to mean sometime before July 1st, because the quarter ends June 30th. So sometime in the next couple of months, you should have access to this. Now, questions to sort out, obviously, are people going to pay for this? Um, will Bally's, will Sinclair get the right access they need to all the teams? They've got streaming rights for the NBA and NHL right now, but only have streaming rights for five major league baseball teams, which might be why they are doing sort of a soft launch this summer with a real launch aimed at the fall when maybe they have those, those rights secured in a different way. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to look. I don't know if people will pay you know, $15, $16 to have a yearly subscription or the $20 a month and just kind of drop it when you don't want it anymore. If there's, you know, say you're just a, a Wild fan and you want it for six months, say you're just a Twins fan and you want it for the summer, you could probably have that option now. But, you know, some people are going to say that's a lot of money just for one channel, just for one access. And I, I kind of agree, but I also think, you know, if that's a channel you watch more than any other, which, let's be honest, in my household... When I'm watching TV, that is the channel I'm watching way more than any others. That might be, you know, as much as the price point might bother people, as much as everything that's happened with these negotiations might bother people, that might be something people look at. So I'll be fascinated to see 
how this looks, what the consumers think when it actually is offered. And like I said, that should be available sometime in the coming months. Let's finish with the cooler. Twins have been red hot lately, except when Dylan Bundy pitches. Twins have won 11 of their last 13 games, the exceptions being last Friday at Tampa Bay when Dylan Bundy was on the mound, put him in a big hole early. They lost 6-1. to He gave up six runs in six innings. And Wednesday at Baltimore when they lost 9-4, to Dylan Bundy's line hideous. Three and two-thirds innings, 11 hits, nine runs, uh, two home runs given up, a couple of walks, just a lot of... You know, just a lot of uh, base runners, a lot of hard hits, everything like that. So that's uh, that's problematic for the for the Twins going forward because Bundy was a guy they had going early in the year, right? Those first three starts were terrific, even if they were just five innings. You know, each of those each of those five innings, or one of them was five and a third. He gave up zero runs, one run, zero runs, and we acknowledged at the time that there were going to be some clunkers. Uh, this is a little bit more than a clunker. This is fifteen runs allowed in his last two starts, just over nine and two-thirds innings, took his ERA from 0.59 to 5.76 in that span. So something to watch going forward. I'm sure you you don't panic because of two bad starts, but when they start pulling together, pulling together a little bit more, uh, you're not going to do that forever. So we will see how uh, how, how much of a leash Dylan Bundy has, especially once Sonny Gray gets healthy. I mean, it wasn't all gloom and doom for the Twins in that game. Carlos Correa, homer, that was a nice thing to see. I mean, they did rally. It was, you know, Bundy put him in a 6-0 hole after the third inning. Twins came right back in the fourth with four runs in the top of the fourth. Then Baltimore, three more in the bottom of the fourth. Tough to come back from that. So, you know, Twins still 15-10 and overall, 11 wins in their last 13 games. But like I said, those two losses in that span, Dylan Bundy starts Wonder how many more starts he will have to get things right. That will do it for today. Should be a good one coming up on Friday. Expecting to have Rachel Blount on the show to talk about Minnesota connections in the Kentucky Derby. That race this weekend and a Minnesota horse featuring prominently in that role. Thanks for joining me today. I'll be back at it again on Friday.